Hey, I'm Josh. I'm the teaching minister here at Clear Creek. It is just an honor to be with you today, especially as we begin a brand new teaching series through the gospel according to Mark. If you're new, we just want to welcome you and thank you for giving your time and and checking us out. Maybe you are already a follower of Jesus, in which case, welcome to the family. We're just excited you're here This is a great place to continue growing and becoming more like Jesus. And if you're not yet a Christ follower, maybe you're here and you're just kind of kicking the tires of faith. This is a safe place to ask questions, to get answers, and we pray to get to know Jesus at a whole new level as your personal Savior. Now, as part of our new series, we have a resource for you. This is a journal, and if you do not have one, we have some uh, folk in the back who will be bringing them forward. Just raise your hand if you did not get one. Every person, individual, not couple, every person needs one. So raise your hand if you want one. If you did not get one, just put it up high, and they will bring yours to you. Just keep it up until you get yours. They're coming down front. They'll be making their way here to give you yours. Now, here's why this is going to be, I hope, a helpful resource over the next number of weeks. We will be in the Gospel of Mark for 30, roughly 30 weeks as a family. We're going to break it up into three sections. Today begins section one. We'll go right up to Easter with this section, then we'll pause for Easter and a few weeks after. Then we'll resume during the summer for a couple months, pause in August for a month, and then come back and finish it in the fall. And our goal is to walk with Jesus step by step by step. And this journal is one of the resources we're going to be using. And, and this is volume one of three volumes. So in the summer, you'll get a new one. And then in the fall, you'll get another one. So we're going to give you resources throughout. Now, inside, let me show you a few things. Title page, little info about Mark. Next couple pages, how you can be a part of this series and get the most out of it. We really want this to be more than a Sunday morning event, but a daily rhythm for us as a body, where we simply live in and sort of marinate. Think of yourself as a pot roast marinating in a crock pot for the next 30 weeks. We want that to be used spiritually, to soak in all the goodness of Jesus. And then on page four and five, there's just sort of a brief, here's Mark in a nutshell, some things that might help you as we read through it. And page five in particular is a map showing the ministry of Jesus where many of his major moments happened. And so we invite you to kind of look over that. But this morning we're going to begin... On page 6 in your journal, you'll notice that it's by date, so Sunday, February the 3rd. On the left-hand side are your uh, notes pages if you want to take notes during our time this morning for later reflection and application. At the bottom of every Sunday message sheet, you'll notice it even says, who will I share this with this week? Because we don't simply want to go to the buffet of spiritual teaching, we then want to take what we have learned and exercise or use the energy it provides to spread the kingdom, spread the good news to other people. And on the right-hand side, page 7, is your small group discussion guide. You say, well, it's, it's kind of blank, Josh. That's right, you're going to discuss it. You're going to take the passage from today or another one during the week, and as a group, you will walk through this. Now, there's some... Uh, additional help group leaders in the very back. It's in our appendix section. It tells you kind of how to walk your group through that. That begins, it's actually page A, but it's after page 96. Confused yet? Okay. So this is a great resource. I hope that you will take advantage of it over the next number of weeks. 
So quick show of hands as we get into this this morning. How many of you uh, have ever been on or like going on road trips? Can I see some hands? Oh, yeah. So family road trips. What about, uh, what, what about cross-country road trips? Anyone, anyone like that? Some of you are going, no, my road trip is to the local food city or Publix, and that's it. I'm, you know, I don't like them. I want them to short, quick destination. Some of us, though, man, we, we dig it. We love the long road trips. In fact, some of my best memories growing up were of our family's road trips. My mom and dad, I remember the day they bought what we called the Big Red Bomb. It was a giant conversion van, sort of, um, it wasn't red, but it wasn't like maroon. It was like this weird bleh between the two, but, but it was a conversion van. How many of you remember the conversion vans of the 90s with a raised roof, and, and, and it had the goofy little like antenna that looked like a boomerang, someone stuck on the top of the vehicle for the TV inside? That, and this, oh man, it was the stuff. It had a TV. It was one of those early to mid-90s TVs that had a screen about this big and was about this long. You just kind of like shoved it into this long cavity in the top. And we would go on family road trips. In fact, the one I remember the most was in uh, 95 or 96 when we took a family trip across country. And we went west, Arkansas, eh. Texas, eh? New Mexico, Arizona, California. And I remember I slept through most of Texas. I would just keep waking up. I had my pillow there. I'd keep waking up and I'd say, where are we? They'd say, Texas. I'd go back to sleep. I'd come back awake a few hours later. Where are we? Texas. After the third day of Texas, I realized Texas would never end. But we went on a road trip and they were so fun because in a road trip, although you may be moving 60, 70, 80 miles an hour down the interstate, you are still covering not a lot of ground every day. You're able to get out, check out the sights, see the world's largest ball of wax, to see 1950s Cadillacs that are shoved nose first into the sound. Real thing, go out west, you will see it to get to see the sights, the sounds, to taste the food, to smell the air and experience this country in three dimensions. That's what this study is going to be like. We're going to take some time. We're going to cover a lot of ground each week, but we're going to soak up as much of it as we can because we want to walk with Jesus, to feel the grit on our hands, to smell the smells, to see the sights, to hear the sounds, and to experience life with Jesus. But before we can do the road trip, today's going to be more like a flight across the country. A little different experience. How many of you have been in an airplane? How many of you will never get in an airplane or again get in an airplane? (laughs) But if you've ever been in an airplane, it's a little different than driving. You see, generally speaking, you go across and you see the topography of the land. You see the mounts. You see the, the general spaces. You see the roads. You see the valleys. You see the streams but you don't see all the exact details. You just get the broad sense in a short period of time. So this morning is going to be Mark from 30,000 feet. We're going to run through, and I want to give you, here is Mark in a nutshell, so that, so that when you are reading, you get a sense of what is happening. So when we get out, we kind of look around, but you'll never forget this is what Mark is about. So to begin, we start at the beginning of Mark. But not the beginning as in Mark chapter 1, verse 1. No, I want to start before that with the title of the book. 
in your Bibles, you probably have a little header above the very first chapter. What does your header say? Just go ahead and yell it out. Okay, John the Baptist prepares the way. Yeah, right. And before that, you have an even bigger header for the name of this book. How many of you have that? Just raise your hand. You got a little header there. Uh, it says Mark or the Gospel of Mark. By the way, to say it's the Gospel of Mark almost sounds like this is Mark's Gospel. It's not. This is the Gospel of Jesus Christ, but it is according to Mark. Now, if you and I were Greek scholars, we would read it this way. Euangelion kata Markon. The Gospel according to Mark. Let's just kind of walk through this this morning, get you a sense of things. This first word, euangelion, comes from two Greek words that have been squished together. The second one is angelion from the Greek word angelos, which means announced news. In fact, if you cut off the I-O-N, you get the word angel, because angels are simply ones sent from God with news to announce. Euangelion, therefore, is announced news. Now, the prefix, or the first part, hang with me. We're going to go deep for a moment, then we'll come up to application, okay? The U just simply means joyful. So, gospel means news that's been announced that brings joy. It's good news. It's joyful news. Now, this word was common and understood in the broad Roman culture of the first century. It is not by nature a religious word. It is a secular word describing something. In the first century, this word euangelion had come to describe certain moments of great historic impact. And it would be used primarily to describe when one kingdom would overthrow another kingdom or liberate a group of people from an oppressive kingdom. And so they would say, this is the good news. So some years prior, when Greece fought the Persians and won a couple of incredible battles, one at Marathon, they sent out messengers called evangelists telling the good news that Greece had liberated its people from the oppression of the Persians. One kingdom liberating people from another oppressive kingdom. This is the good news. And Mark comes along and says, oh, you think that's good news? Let me tell you about the true king who brought the true kingdom, who doesn't liberate you from human oppression, but from Satan, sin, and death. This is the good news. And the people who first read this needed some good news. In fact, if we were to kind of walk through it, let me give you a timeline here. Mark's gospel is written roughly around the year 85 AD, and this was a very hard time to be a Christ follower. See, the year before that in 64 AD, the the Caesar at the time was a man named Nero, and he was certifiably crazy. In fact, in the year 64, a great fire broke out in the city of Rome. This fire lasted for a week. It burned and burned and burned. They thought they got it under control, but then it flared back up, destroying 80% of Rome, the city of Rome. Nero was so crazy that it is said, as he watched Rome burn, he stood atop the castle playing his violin. Now, people began to realize that this guy's a little... And so they said, what are we going to do about it? To get attention off of himself, Nero began to blame Christians for the burning of Rome. 
And in 64 AD, a great persecution began, not just in certain parts of the Roman Empire, but what we believe was probably a an empire-wide persecution. In fact, this happened in the summer, in July of 64. Um, Secular, historic documents show this. And many Christians began to lose their lives. In fact, Caesar began to round up Christians and he would dress them in animal skins and put them in the arenas and let wild animals eat the Christians. He would dip Christians in pitch or tar and he'd put them on stakes in his garden, light them on fire to light his parties. This was a horrible time to be a Christ follower. In fact, we believe that it was in 64 AD that Peter died, that he was killed for his faith. He was crucified, we believe, but because he said he was not worthy of dying like Jesus, asked them to crucify him upside down. It's in this world that Mark writes the gospel. Because when you are faced with hard times, you begin to reevaluate what you value. And is it worth what you're going through to hang on to what you believe? And Mark writes this to a group of Christians, to Roman Christians in the city of Rome, primarily to say, yes, Jesus is worth it. In fact, there are little details we notice how he's trying to help the Christians identify with Jesus. In chapter 1, at Jesus's temptation in the wilderness, there's this little note that Mark makes. He says he was out, Jesus was out in the wilderness, and he was with the wild animals. You're not the only ones who are facing wild beasts. And so he presents this, that Jesus is worth it. Now, he divides this into a couple categories here. The Gospel of Mark, he organizes it so that people will understand what he's trying to say. If you wanted to divide Mark into two sections, chapters 1 through 8 and 9 through 16. And in the middle, there is this little connective tissue, this one little story. In fact, this is the centerpiece of the Gospel according to Mark. Now, in chapters 1 through 18 and 9 through 16, they each ask a key question. I know this is a lot. Just hang with me, though. Chapter 1 through 18, Mark is presenting the question, who is Jesus? In fact, that's the question Jesus asks his followers in chapter 8. Who do people say I am? And some say Elijah, some say one of the prophets, some say John the Baptist come back from the dead. But Jesus says, who do you say I am? And Mark says, here's who Jesus is. He is king. He is Not just a king, but he is Messiah, the king, the one who will fix it all. And so chapters 1 through 8, he just blitzes through story after story, showing Jesus as the conquering king. He is king over people, but he's also king over supernatural forces. So Jesus is constantly casting out demons because he is the king over the spiritual realm. Jesus is healing the sick and raising the dead and giving blind people their sight back because Jesus is the king not only over humans and the supernatural, but he's also king over viruses, bacteria, and brokenness. He is the king over all things. And then in 9 through 16, the question is, so how will Jesus win? The world's broken. Things are not working. How will this king bring the kingdom? And so Jesus In chapter 8, verse 27 through 32, asks, who do people say I am? And Peter says, well, Jesus, you are Messiah. You are the king. And he goes, attaboy, Peter. Now, what else? And Peter goes, well, that's it. 
And so Jesus begins to explain, well, this king, this me, I'm going to die on a cross. I'm going to be the one who brings liberation through death, not a sword. I will sacrifice myself so as to bring liberation for others. And Peter still doesn't get it because in the same little chapter and verse, chapter 8, he says, oh, no, no, Jesus, that won't ever happen. And Jesus goes from saying, boy, Peter, to get behind me, Satan. What a bummer of a moment. Can you imagine going from yay to boo? This is the overview. In fact, Dr. Tim Keller says these two words, king and cross, define the gospel according to Mark. That he is a king, that he dies on a cross, but when he comes back, he says, no matter what you face, church, be it death itself, I have kicked out the teeth of death, and you can and will be victorious in him. So that is the good news. Now, here's the next question. Who's this Mark fella? I mean, if we're going to read about Jesus through the eyes of a man named Mark, let's figure out who this guy is. Well, it turns out if you go to the gospel according to Mark, you will never once see Mark's name appear. He's not in there. Now, there's one place that we think refers to Mark. And if you want to see a funny story, go to Mark chapter 14 and later this week read verses 51 and 2. This is the night when Jesus is being uh, betrayed, when, uh, when Judas comes, has Jesus arrested. They're taking Jesus off. And there's this one little moment where we're told that a young man wearing nothing but a linen robe is grabbed by the soldiers. And to get away, he wriggles out of his robe And the Bible says, he ran away naked. Yeah, the gospel of Mark. Most people believe that that is actually Mark talking about himself. We don't know for sure, but that's what we think. But if you want to know more about Mark, you have to go actually to a different book of the Bible. So first place that we ever hear about Mark is not in the gospel of Mark, but rather it is in the book of Acts, chapter 12. This is that story we read a couple weeks ago where Peter has been imprisoned and we think he's about to be executed. The church prays, he is supernaturally delivered, and where does he go? Well, he goes to the house of Mary, who was the mother of John, also known as Mark. This is that guy. You say, well, wait a minute, is his name John or is it Mark? Yes. John was his Hebrew name, Mark, or more accurately, Marcus, is his Roman name. So when he was in whichever company, that's the name he used. In fact, the reason this is the gospel according to Mark, not John, is because he wrote it in Rome to primarily Roman Christians. So he uses his Roman name. This took place around 44 AD. Now, you want to know a little bit more about Mark? Well, it turns out Mark became quite involved in the early church. His mother's house is where they had prayer meetings. We see in chapter 12. We believe that Mark was with Jesus in the night before he was betrayed, as I mentioned ago. We believe also that perhaps it was in Mark's house, or Mark's upper room, rather, that Jesus ate his last supper. Mark is all over the place. And not only that, he has a famous cousin. His cousin, according to Colossians in chapter 4, is Barnabas. How many of you know Barnabas? Not, not like in real life, but how many of you like know of Barnabas, right? He is one of the early Christians, and he was the cousin to Mark. And so, when Paul and Barnabas say, hey, let's go on a missionary journey, Barnabas, you can almost imagine this moment. Paul and Barnabas getting ready to leave, and 
maybe, you know, Barnabas' mom or, or one of the relatives comes over and says, you know, Barnabas, um, Mark's a really good boy. He should, you know, maybe, maybe you could take him along, sort of show him the ropes, help him out. And so he's like, sure, let's go. And so he goes with Peter, excuse me, goes with Paul and Barnabas, and he travels on their first missionary journey. But get this, things get hard when you follow Jesus. And so, as a result of the difficulty faced, uh, Mark deserts. He runs away. This created such turmoil and such angst that Paul later, when Barnabas said, hey, we're going on another trip, what if we give Mark another chance? Paul in Acts chapter 15, says, uh-uh, no way. He is a deserter. I'm not taking him with me. And Barnabas and Paul get into such an argument over it. They split. Paul takes a man named Silas. Barnabas takes Mark, and they go on another trip. Now this is kind of an interesting thing because for years there seems to be this angst between Paul and Mark. But at some point late in Paul's life, they reunite. Something happens. We don't know what all happened. But we know that they reunite because in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 11, Paul writing, this by the way, 2 Timothy is Paul's last letter ever written before he is executed when he's beheaded in about 67 AD. He says to Timothy, he says, hey, bring Mark because Mark is useful to me. This deserter is now useful to me. They reunite. Now here's the big question. Are you ready? What happened between 44, 45, 50 A.D. and the late 60s. What happened for Mark to go from a deserter to someone who is useful to the Apostle Paul? I'll show you. I want to show you a quote from an early church leader by the name of Papias. Everybody say, Papias. Very good. Papias wrote about the years between the first time we meet Mark and the last time we hear of Mark. And here's what he says. Mark became the interpreter of Peter. In other words, Mark, at some point after his journey with Barnabas, Mark meets up with Peter and Peter says, hey, why don't you come with me? And Mark begins to write down what Peter says and what Peter talks about. He wrote accurately, Mark wrote accurately as far as he remembered them, the things said or done by the Lord. Next slide. He had followed Peter and he had one object only in view, to leave out nothing of the things which he had heard and to include no false statement among them. In other words, Papias says that it is Mark who traveled with Peter to Rome and there he listened to the story of Jesus over and over and over. He heard the good news over and over and he began to write. And when things got hard, Mark wrote the story of Christ so that those in the struggle would not forget or be confused by whom they trust. Now, here's what's interesting. He's in Rome because Peter, we believe, brought him there. He said, hey, why don't you come with me? They go there and they, and they begin to travel. And as they're traveling, Peter's telling these stories about the incredible time when Jesus healed this person or cast out that demon. And so actually, if you read the Gospel of Mark, it is more likely or more accurately the Gospel according to 
Peter because Mark is writing down the things that Peter saw, heard, experienced. And, and really, if you read Mark, it sort of sounds like Peter. The Gospel of Mark is the shortest of all four Gospels. Sounds like Peter, very brief, right? In fact, it has very few what we call uh, sermons or discourses of Jesus. Rather, it's just action-packed. The word immediately, or the Greek word translated immediately, is used over 40 times in the Gospel of Mark. So Jesus was here, and then immediately he went here, and immediately went there, and there. It sounds like our ADHD friend Peter, doesn't it? Because this is through the eyes of Peter. Have you ever thought about the kind of conversations they must have had on the road as they traveled? Yeah, I, I wonder, what would it like to be Mark, and you know you've completely messed up, you ran away when it got hard, and you hear you might get a second chance this guy named Peter just doesn't think you, you have it in you. This guy named Paul, rather, is just, he's just upset about it. And so you can't really do anything to fix it. You can't go back. You've failed. You've run away. You've dropped the ball. What must he have gone through? And then Barnum says, you come with me. Okay. And, and I know it must have encouraged him some, but then you've got to think about it. It's almost like Mark, if I were Mark, I'd thought, well, yeah, Barnabas, of course, you're asking me to come with you. We're family. I mean, I'm sure mom would be upset if you didn't ask me to come. Can you you put yourself in Mark's shoes for just a moment? See, he had heard who Jesus was. He believed it here, but he had not gotten it down to his heart. From the head to the heart, he had heard it, but he did not believe it in the core. And he ran away, and he goes, I'm a failure. But isn't it interesting that of all the people who could invite Mark on a journey. It was not Paul, the super Christian. It was Peter, the one who ran away from Jesus. Can you imagine the conversations? Maybe one night around a campfire, you have Mark sitting there, and he's just like, Peter, man, thanks for bringing me. I, I, I just really, I messed up. And I know it's been a few years, and I know, I know, I know God forgives, but I've just, I've dropped the ball so badly. I, I just, I don't know if, I don't know if I can ever be brought back into the game. And can you imagine Peter sitting there across from you and just looking at you and saying, hey, let me tell you about the time that I didn't deny Paul or run away from Barnabas, but I denied and ran away from Jesus when he was about to be killed. Can you imagine the relief that came over Mark's face when he hears again the story of a brother that he admires, who Peter says of of Mark, he says, he's like a son to me. Can you imagine someone who's like your spiritual dad saying, you have no idea, I did the exact same thing, but it wasn't to humans, I ran away from Jesus. And yet Jesus said, I could have another chance. And those moments where Mark thinks, well, yeah, but I got scared and I just, I didn't know what to do, and so I, I kind of bailed on things and he goes yeah yeah do you know there was this time that i was out in the waves in a boat jesus is walking on water it was amazing it was just so cool and i said jesus if you are really you out there can i come and walk with you and jesus says yes i get out of the boat and i start to walk and then i see the waves and i get scared and i start to sink and jesus grabs me by the hand you're not the only one to fear and fail yeah but but peter don't you understand I was, they were counting on me and for Peter to say, yeah, but guess what? It is Christ in you that gives you what you need for people. 
It is never of your own power or strength. And can you imagine as he listened to the gospel, not just preached from Peter's mouth, but lived in Peter's life. Peter, the one who had been wishy-washy, now was the rock. He is the one who says, I believe and I will teach and I will stand strong even to my death. And don't you know that by the grace of God, God intentionally put Mark with Peter, one deserter with another, to say this is not the end of your story. There is more to your story. And here's the beautiful thing. What would have happened if Mark had not deserted and we, we're conjecturing now, but let's just pretend for a moment. Is it possible that he would never have traveled with this man named Peter who lived with Jesus for three years and heard his teachings and saw the miracles? Is it possible, had Mark not failed, that he would never have traveled with this other restored failure to hear the stories, to write them down? Is it possible that we would not have the gospel according to Mark? If he had not failed. And here's another thing. Most scholars believe that the gospel of Mark is the first gospel written. And that Matthew and Luke took Mark's account and used it as a basis for their accounts. Meaning, hear this now. Mark influenced three of the four gospels. Here's the one thing you need to hear, family. Before we get into this, you need to understand that the gospel, the good news of Jesus is not theory. It's not for others. It's for us. The gospel of Jesus is good news for the failures. You say, well, is it good news for anyone else? No, because we are all failures. Welcome to church. The gospel is good news because I have failed. I have denied Jesus. I have deserted him from time to time. And the good news is God does not take perfect people and put them on mission. He takes broken, imperfect, selfish, cowardly, afraid people and says, I can work with that. The good news is wherever you have been, whatever you have done, wherever you have fallen, our God says through the good news of Jesus, I died for you that you may live. And the church is at her best when other former failures say you can come with us. Let me tell you my story because Jesus saves failures like me. This is the good news, church. And we're going to go into a time of prayer in just a moment. But before our leaders come forward, before we do anything, I want you to ask yourself this question. Do you need good news today? Do you need to know that no matter what you've done, where you've done it, or who you did it with, there is a God who knows you, who loves you, and who died and rose for you. Do you need that? How about some of you who today, you know Jesus and you know he loves you, but you're just kind of hanging on by the skin of your teeth because of what is going on. Do you think you might be able to identify with the church in 65 AD? You need to know that the gospel strengthens those in difficult times. You say, well, my marriage is on the rocks. I need more counseling. You may, but you need to know the gospel more. 
You say, my finances are upside down. I have tried to buy things I don't have money for and all that, and I just need help with my money. Maybe so, but you need the gospel to remind you that you are not what you own, but you are who owns you. You say, well, I'm having this health issue, this situation, and I just don't know how to get through it. Do you understand? We're going to read about a God who's able to heal not just the body, but the spirit of broken mankind. This is the good news. And what's incredible, roughly three years after Mark writes this gospel, because it has gone from his head to his heart, we're told that he ends his time on earth martyred for the faith, meaning he was killed for what he believed. In about 68 AD, we believe that he was drugged along behind a horse until he was dead, but Jesus' name was on his lips because he saw that God can take a deserter and make him a follower no matter what he has done. And that is good news. So we're going to go into a time of prayer. And if you're a guest, here's all that means Some of our prayer leaders are going to, right now, begin to make their way up to the front. We'll have some over here, here, and here. And I'm going to invite our prayer leaders to come on up. And over the next few minutes, we're going to dim the lights and prepare our hearts. And we're going to invite you to be able to receive prayer. In fact, there may be some things on your heart today that you just want to pray over. You may want to ask God to help you. Or someone else with certain situations, things you're facing. Maybe it's finances, relationships, salvation. He hears and he wants to answer. Maybe today you just want to say, yay God for what he has already done. Or maybe today you just say, I need to repent. And I need to claim the good news that the gospel is for everyone, even someone like me. And if you're ready, take your next step and be baptized. We'll get you ready during prayer time. We will introduce you to the church and Jesus through baptism here. But here's what I'm going to ask. I'm just going to ask. Would you join our brother in the faith, Mark, in taking a step today and saying, I can't, but he can, he has, and he always will. And whatever your need is this morning, we're going to give you a chance to do that now. As together we stand and we sing these songs of prayer to our Father. With every head bowed, every eye closed, let's just pray to the Father. Lord, we're so grateful that in this place you meet us. No matter our past, no matter even our present, in Jesus Christ we have a secure future. Lord, we thank you that you are the God of second chances. Not only for a Peter, a Paul, a Mary, a Timothy, a Titus, or a Mark, but for us. Lord, may we this week, as we walk with Jesus Remember that he walks with us. We love you. We thank you. It's in your name that we pray this morning. Amen. Family, God bless. You're dismissed.